I love the holidays. And one of my favorite things about the holiday season is the traditions. Like for us, my family goes out to dinner on Christmas Eve every year. And when we get home, we're allowed to open one gift at midnight. It actually started when my brother and I were kids and just couldn't wait until Christmas morning. We're in our 30s now, and we don't even like staying up till midnight anymore, really. But still, every year, we open up that one gift, sometimes two, before bed, and our mom looks on lovingly. I'm Lindsay Jacobson, and this is Remember Reading from HarperCollins, a podcast where we talk about classic children's books. This year, between family meals and outings, I re-listened to past episodes of Remember Reading, and it struck me that classic books are a lot like family traditions. We treasure them because it feels like we've always known them, but we grow to admire them more deeply when we learn their backstories. I also figured out that sometimes understanding why someone else loves a book makes me love it more, just like a family tradition. So on this episode of Remember Reading, we're going to revisit some of our favorite moments where authors describe their books' backstories and gush about the books they admire. If you haven't heard the original episodes from which these excerpts are pulled, we hope you'll go back and listen after the show. Let's start with our episode on E.B. White's book, Stuart Little. We spoke to Catherine Applegate, author of the acclaimed middle-grade novel, The One and Only Ivan, and its forthcoming sequel, The One and Only Bob. She told us that E.B. White revered nature, its creatures, and the world's subtle beauty. It's something she valued in Stuart Little and wrote in her own books. Her new series, Endling, is about a made-up being she calls a Darren, whose name is Bix. After Bix's family is killed, she thinks she may be the very last of her species, otherwise known as an Endling. Let's listen to the excerpt. The catalyst for Enling was, interestingly enough, my daughter coming across the word on Reddit, I think it was. It has been relatively recently coined, so you still won't find it in most dictionaries. But unfortunately, we are finding we need it more and more. And the reason is because we're going through what a lot of people are calling the sixth great extinction. We're seeing mass extinction of all kinds of species. So the idea of an endling of the very last animal alive in a species was so compelling to me and poignant. And I thought, what would it be like to actually be that species? In the story, Bix hears a rumor that far from her home, there just might be another Darren colony. She decides to go look for her fellow Darns to see if she could find her tribe in the face of extinction. During all of her various misadventures, she meets a ragtag crew of creatures who join her along the way. Now, as Bix grows, I suppose in the same way that Stuart grows, the same way any good children's character grows, she realizes that she can redefine family and that maybe it's not just about species and blood. Maybe it's about these creatures and humans that she's gathered around her that are willing to risk their lives for her. So her definition of what's important changes as she grows up. An epigraph in Applegate's first endling book reads, In Nature, Nothing Exists Alone. The words were written by Rachel Carson in her book, Silent Spring. It's about the ecological dangers of pesticides, and the book catalyzed an environmental movement in the United States. 
When I looked at my copy of Silent Spring, I saw that Carson included an E.B. White quote as her epigraph. Did you know that Rachel Carson actually claims to have been inspired to write Silent Spring by none other than E.B. White? <gasps> no, I did not know that. That is so cool. And it doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> what a fascinating connection, though. I love it. it. See, that's the kind of writing he did, that he could take a spider, for example, a tiny mouse, and make you think about these big connections. Generations of readers have cherished E.B. White's books. So it's no surprise that we dedicated more than one episode to them. We spoke to author Jody Kendall about Charlotte's Web. She loved the story so much that she even worked it into the plot of her own novel. It's called The Unlikely Story of a Pig in the City. It's a modern-day story of a girl named Josie who, like E.B. White's main character, Fern, is trying to save a pig from its death. Turns out, when Jody was 13, she actually had a pig named Ellie. Here's Jody with the rest of that story and why she thinks she may have written the unlikely story of a pig in the city. She lived in our house. Did she get into some trouble? Yeah. The, our pig, Ellie, got into a lot of mischief. And some of it was humorous at the time. And as a kid, I remember it just felt like this big adventure. I remember snuggling up with her and scratching her back and feeding her frosted mini-wheats and stuff like that and giving her baths upstairs. And those were a lot of just emotions and things I did try to tie into the book because some of the adventures are different. But mm -hmm. she learned how to yeah, open up the cabinets, peel off labels off all the soup cans. So I remember one time, you know, we didn't know what was in any of the cans because all the labels had been ripped off. And she could bite into a soda can and make it spray and then drink all the Coca-Cola. So I think that actually led into the soup cans because she was looking for soda cans. That is amazing. Yeah. What happened after that? Did you bring her to a farm? Where'd she go? So she did go to a farm and I never saw her again. No. Right? No. I know. Looking back that, like, I'll think, you know, especially now that I'm very sensitive to the idea about human-animal relationships and the bonds that's there. And I've... You know, some of the best times of my life and the best experiences have been with non-humans. And mm -hmm. so looking back, I, I do feel like I feel bad as if, you know, she, she trusted us and she really knew us. And I wonder what that next thing was for her, you know, if she missed us and experienced things because, you know, pigs can have different types of you know, span of emotions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know what happened to her. And that might be part of the reason that I wrote kind of the story Yeah, was understanding and wanting to know what happens to a pig and the, the main character wanting to see that all full circle. One of my all-time favorite books is Bridge to Terabithia by Katherine Patterson. So I was really excited to talk to her for our episode on the book. Katherine actually said that she didn't ever expect to be a writer. But Bridge to Terabithia ended up winning a Newbery Medal. She told me what motivated her to pen that story. I wrote the book because my son David's best friend, who was a girl named Lisa Hill, and they did everything together. He had come to the school new and was weird, and then he and Lisa found each other, and they played together every afternoon after school, and they talked on the phone at night. And then the summer after their second grade, Lisa went, to Bethany Beach with her family. And I've heard it, a story told by a person who was on the beach that day. And she looked up and she saw on a rock above the beach, a child 
dancing and she thought it was such a beautiful picture and then a bolt of lightning came out of nowhere and struck the child. Um, they said later that lifeguards that had heard thunder way off in the distance but it was not nearly close enough to empty the beach and no one else was hurt, just Lisa who was killed. And so I had to try to explain that to my eight-year-old, which of course I was unable to do. I couldn't even explain it to myself, but I thought a story has to make sense. A story has a beginning and a middle and an end, and when you get to the end, even if intellectually you haven't made sense of everything, somehow emotionally the end pulls together the beginning and the middle, and you have come to a new place. And so I needed very badly to go to a new place, and so that's why I wrote the book. Lots of beautiful books come from tragedy or struggle. In episode after episode, I learned that people who write these books are often hoping to help the kids reading them to get through something difficult. That was the case for author Erin Entrada Kelly, I spoke to her for our episode on Sideways Stories from Wayside School by Lewis Sacker. It's a silly book about a very weird school, but Erin really loved it because it taught all the kids to be happy with who they are and accept each other instead of worrying about fitting in. She grew up in Louisiana and says she had a really hard time. The challenges that I had were my mother is from the Philippines In the community where I grew up, there was not a large immigrant population, and there certainly wasn't a large Asian population. And so whenever I'd go to school, I was pretty much the only Filipino. And that can be really difficult growing up because you look like an outsider, you look like an other. And I was also a very quiet and introspective kid, so I didn't always feel like I had the tools that I needed to figure out my place in the world. And the kids picked on me, and I wanted desperately to look like a quote-unquote real American girl. Reading was her escape. She started writing early, too. As a kid, she wrote fan fiction and put together little books. When I was growing up, all the books that I wrote on loose-leaf paper and stapled with the book covers, they were all Uh, white children or white teenagers or it never occurred to me a single time to write a book with a Filipino character or an Asian character. And I've spoken to a lot of other authors who had the same experience, who were part of a marginalized group, and for some reason they thought that white was the default for their characters. That started to change when she was an adult. Like Lewis, Erin wanted to write books that helped kids feel less alone. She decided to do that by featuring diverse characters. Unless you've been part of a group who never saw themselves represented, it can be hard to understand what kind of impact it has when you finally see someone who looks like you on a bookshelf or on a television screen or in a movie theater. It has a very profound effect. Those were just some of our favorite moments from a year of Remember Reading. And honestly, it was really hard to choose. We've also featured books like Ella Enchanted, Good Night Moon, Where the Wild Things Are, The Mouse and the Motorcycle, and much more. 
If you love classic children's books, I hope you'll go back and check out the rest of our show. Then tell us what you think on Twitter at ReadingPod. That's R-E-A-D-I-N-G-P-O-D, ReadingPod. Or head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We may feature your review in our next newsletter. Which, by the way, if you're not signed up for yet, that's super easy. Visit RememberReading.com where you can sign up to get episodes, trivia, and quotes delivered to your inbox every month. Remember Reading is produced by Irina Zharov and Stephanie Marudis of Cuvenda Media. And I'm Lindsay Jacobson. Thanks for listening.